Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. We're going to now enter into a time of worship together. And uh, one thing that we have as a tradition in our church is we do what's called the lighting of the Advent wreath. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this, Jessica did a great job of explaining it to us uh, this past week, where um, in European cultures early on, when they were getting closer to the day of Christmas, it was also getting darker because of the winter solstice. And so as the world was symbolically getting darker and darker and darker with every week, they would light a new candle every week to symbolize that the light of Jesus only grows stronger and increases no matter how dark the world gets, right? So last week we lit the first candle, which is the candle of hope, to remind us that hope has come in Jesus and hope is coming again in his name. And this week we're gonna light the second candle of the Advent wreath, which is traditionally known as the candle of love. Where scripture says, for God so loved the world, that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's all about love. So would you pray with me? So Lord, in this moment now, we're not just lighting candles, um, but what we're doing is reminding ourselves of deep, profound truths not only that you are the God of love, that you sent your son in love for us, but even now as we light the candle of hope, we open ourselves to experience your love in Jesus Christ. We opened our minds to learn about your love. We open our lives to be transformed by your love. And we open our hearts right now to experience the love of Christ. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's worship. Um, Now we're gonna jump into our Advent series. I love that this year we've gone full South Florida vibe with our palm trees, isn't that fun? And we, we don't need snowflakes, right? We don't need sleigh bells. We don't need any of that. And Pastor Travis, Trevor taught us last week, Pastor Travis, sorry. <laughs> Pastor Trevor taught us last week that we actually have the best symbol of Christmas right here in our backyard, and that's the ocean. You know, we're talking about this quote, which you saw in the bump video. I want us to look at it again. This is a quote from St. Athanasius, who was a church father in the fourth century. And he said, such and so many are the Savior's achievements that follow from his incarnation, that to try to number them is like gazing at the open sea and trying to count the waves. And what he's basically saying here is that because Jesus became fully human, while remaining fully God, he achieved so much for us. There are so many good things that we could never, ever, ever count them all. And so last week, we started trying to count some waves, right? And we talked about how Jesus gets us, fully gets us. He knows what it's like to be a human emotionally, mentally, relationally, physically. And because he fully gets us, he can be compassionate towards us. He can save us when we encounter temptation, and he can set us free. 
And so today, as we continue to prepare for Christmas, we're going to try and count a few more waves. Okay, everyone ready for that? Awesome. So speaking of preparing for Christmas, one of the most important traditions in my house preparing for Christmas is watching Christmas movies. Yes, okay. The best one, of course, Santa Claus. Yes, all right. We got a few hand claps. So we were watching Santa Claus the other day, the original, right? That's the only one, the original one. And there was this quote that Elf Judy said that I thought was very interesting. And she said, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. And then I thought about the movie The Polar Express, which we can talk later about how much better the book is than the movie. We can talk in the lobby. But there was also a quote from the conductor, and he said, seeing is believing, But sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. And I thought it was really interesting. It feels like a lot of Christmas movies, they take believing and seeing, and they put them in this interesting relationship where it's almost like they're at odds with each other. Or it's almost like if you can see it, the believing doesn't mean as much. And I started to think about this, and I thought, I don't think that's quite true at Christmas. So I thought about John 1.14, which is one of our most important Christmas verses, right? It says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. We have seen the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so I think that really the true miracle of Christmas is that we get to see God and believe And so that's what we're going to be talking more about today. And in order to do that, we're going to look at a passage from um, the Gospel of John. So if you're able, would you please stand? This is a tradition at Community of Hope where we just seek to honor God's word and to show that these words are actually more important than any other words that come off this stage. And so let's read John 14, 1 through 14. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Love, Thomas, right? (laughs) Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father. That will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? even after I have been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves." Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. And let's pray. Father God, we want to be fully present to you right now and what you want to do. So we ask that you would just calm our minds, calm our hearts, calm our bodies. We want to receive what you have for us today. We want more of you, Lord. And we pray this through the name of your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so a little bit of background on our passage. John 14 is considered by scholars to be part of the Last Supper or the Upper Room Discourses, which basically just means that this is Jesus speaking to his disciples in the Upper Room during the Last Supper, right before his crucifixion. I thought it was interesting in this passage that Jesus is speaking to all of the disciples, but there are two disciples that we hear called out specifically by name. The first is Thomas. If you've been around church any amount of time, you probably know Thomas. He's known as Doubting Thomas, yes. I mean, poor guy. I feel like he just says the thing that everyone's thinking, right? (laughs) So we hear Thomas highlighted, and he's like, Jesus, um... We actually don't know where you're going, so, right? And then we also hear the words of Philip. And Philip is saying, Jesus, just just show us God. That's all we're asking. And Jesus is like, hey, um, Philip, I've actually been here the whole time. And so I think it's interesting that we hear the specific words of these two disciples recorded. And I think today they can kind of maybe represent for us this spectrum of faith that is present in this room. Right Here at Community of Hope, we welcome people who have questions and who are still figuring things out, and there are people who have been around Christianity a long time, and so we're all at different points in our faith. And so I think maybe today some of us are identifying more, like, more with Thomas, who's still asking questions and still figuring things out and isn't willing to accept the easy answers. And if that's you, we're glad you're here. This church was actually designed for people like you, and so maybe you're more like Thomas. Or maybe today you're identifying more with Philip, who's actually been around Jesus for a long time. But maybe there's still something that you're asking or looking for. And so as we continue through our message today, I think whatever, wherever you're at, Thomas or Philip, somewhere in between, there's an invitation here for you today. So we talked first about this relationship between believing and seeing. And the kind of theological term that we're framing that around is this. Revelation. So revelation means really how God helps us see him. It's how he reveals himself. Right? And we can understand revelation in two ways. The first is general revelation. And this is something that everyone encounters. Really, it's in nature, in God's creation. You know, even people who don't believe in God, when they come under a starry sky or stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon or look at the open sea... There's this feeling of something more, right? That's general revelation, that God has made himself known in his creation. And then there's special revelation, which is God specifically revealing himself, whether that's through scripture or dreams or prophecy. God chooses certain people and reveals parts of himself in a specific way. But all of these are kind of in part until Jesus, who is the culmination of special revelation. 
Look what it says in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So no one has seen God, but Jesus makes him known. Jesus enables us to see God. Right? We heard him say these words in our passage. In verse 9b, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now think about that. That's a pretty bold statement, right? If one of your friends came up to you and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you'd be like on the phone, right? Calling someone to help. (laughs) But Jesus saying this, even in the original context, would have also been very shocking. In fact, one of the scholars I was reading said that this statement, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, may have been the most staggering thing Jesus said in the ancient context. When you think about that cultural context, the Greeks who believed in a ton of gods, right? The thing that was the same about all of those gods is they were invisible. So they're not seeing any gods. And then the Jews, really a hallmark of their faith was that no one had seen God and that no one could see him and live, right? Think about Moses. Moses, who was super important to the Old Testament, who led the people out of Egypt through the wilderness, Moses asked God if he could see his glory. And God said, no one can see my face and live. And so God took Moses, stuck him in the cleft of a rock. The scripture says he covered him with his hand, passed by him, so Moses got to see his back. Okay? And then the elders So Moses had this group of elders. God invited them up to the mountain to meet with him. And it says that when they looked at God, they saw what he, that they saw something under his feet, pavement as blue as the sky. So they're invited to see God and all they see is his feet and what he's standing on. And then what about Isaiah, who is a prophet of God? He speaks the very words of God to the people. He has so many messianic prophecies in his message. He clearly knew God, right? But when he was kind of caught up into the spiritual realm and given his call to be a prophet, the scripture says he saw the hem of God's robe filling the temple. That's all he saw. But the early church also confirmed this idea that Jesus lets us see God. Look at this verse from Colossians. The son is the image, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The letter of Hebrews says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, and look at this, the exact representation, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, right? So Jesus shows us God. Now, I don't mean in this way that we now know what color hair God had or what his eyes looked like. We don't know, you know, family representation, resemblance. Did he look more like God or did he look more like Mary, right? (laughs) I was wondering if that would be heretical or not, but, you know. (laughs) What we mean by seeing God is that we know what he is like because we know Jesus, Look again at this verse from our passage, John 14, 10. Jesus says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? 
He says, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who's doing his work. So Jesus' words and Jesus' work reveal who God is. In other words, if you want to know what God sounds like or what God acts like, you just need to look at Jesus. Let's think about Jesus' words for a moment. When I think about his words in scripture, I think of how he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember he says, love one another as I have loved you. I remember how he says, do not worry about tomorrow. And how he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And those words of Jesus are straight from the heart of the Father to us. Now, Jesus also reveals the Father in his works, Jesus' works. And what do we see Jesus doing in the New Testament? Well, we see him going to dinner parties with sinners. We see him befriending people who are outcasts from society. We see him searching, saving the lost. We see him leaving the 99 to find the one, calming the storm, healing sickness, casting out demons, looking for the people on the margins to say, come be with me. And these works of Jesus only reflect the works of the Father. You know, I I often have conversations with people who struggle, and maybe this is true for you, who struggle reconciling their idea of who they think the Old Testament God is with who Jesus is. But Jesus is like God. And God is like God. Jesus. Does anyone know what this means here? IRL. Anyone? In real life. Okay, if you know that, you're hip. You got it. Good job. (laughs) IRL. Was not that funny. Was not that funny. IRL is an online term. It means in real life. Because apparently now we live in such a world that we have to specifically say when something happens in real life versus behind a screen. But when something is IRL in real life, it means that there's a different sort of understanding, right? Think about if you're friends with someone online or if you're friends with someone in real life. You know them in a much different way if you're real friends, right? Think about um, communicating, If you are texting someone or if you are talking to someone face-to-face, it is much more clear when you're talking to someone face-to-face, right? In texting, you're like, oh, did they mean to capitalize that word? And was that supposed to be an exclamation point? Are they smiling or frowning? Let me add some more emojis so they know what I mean here. But when we communicate with someone in real life, we have facial expressions and body language and tone and context, and it's much easier to know what someone is saying and how they're saying it. Now, what about shopping online versus in the store? I mean, I admit, I think I bought almost every Christmas present online, but when I'm buying something online, the the likelihood of me receiving something that I didn't think was actually going to be is much higher, right? Anyone ever bought something online and then it turned out to be not what you expected it to be? (laughs) Always. (laughs) 
I remember preparing for our first mega sports camp here, which is our Kids of Hope summer outreach. It's all sports. We needed a ton of soccer balls. And so I'm searching on Amazon. I found an awesome deal. It was like 36 soccer balls. You know, I'm like, this will be perfect. And they come, and they were like the little stress balls. <laughs> so when we, buy, when we only see something through a computer screen or not in person, it's more easy, it's, we more easily misunderstand, right? Think about experiencing beauty. Think of a beautiful place that you've seen maybe in a photo, and then when you've actually been there. This past summer, we had the privilege of celebrating my in-law's 50th anniversary, we went to Alaska. Yes. And we got to get up close and personal to Hubbard Glacier, Now, before we went, you know, the girls and I had gone to the library. We checked out books on Alaska. We looked at pictures. We read online articles. But being here, seeing the beauty of this in real life, could not even compare, right? When we're here and you feel the icy wind coming off the glacier, when you can hear the pieces calving, breaking off, splashing into the ocean, when you can see the gradients of blue I mean, being there in a person, in real life, does not compare to just hearing about it, seeing pictures, reading words. So all of that to say that Jesus came so we could see God in real life. That we could experience him, that we would know him more clearly, that we would have first-hand knowledge. Now, where does this leave us? So what? We can see God. Well, I think when we see him clearly, we open ourselves up to another level. And we see it in our passage in verse 7. Jesus says, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus enables us to know God. Let me tell you something about this word, no. The Greek language has multiple words that are translated in English just as no. This no is a Greek word, gnosko. Now, this type of knowing is not facts, is not objective knowledge. It is relational knowledge And it is acquired only through experience. Think about that. We are invited to know God, to know him through Jesus, to know him personally, to know him by experience. Now, I think sometimes it's easier to know about God, right? I know that's been true in my own life. It's easier to know about him, to know scripture, to know um, what happened in the Bible, to know his traits, to have these theological ideas and beliefs, right? That's safer because I can control that type of knowing, right? I can decide how far I go or what I study or what I want to learn. I I can learn about God even while I'm still maybe keeping him at arm's length, And Jesus warns us about this. I think this is what he's saying to Philip. Look at his words again. Jesus answered, don't you know, this is that gnosko again. 
Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. So I think this is a special word, maybe for those of us who have been around faith, have been around Jesus a long time. Sometimes he can be among us, around us. We can do this and know things and not know him personally. Um, I've been reading this book. It's called Experiencing Love. And I mean, I could have just sat here on the chair and read it to you for 30 minutes. It's so good. But I won't do that. Don't worry. But I did pull out one of my favorite quotes. This is by author David Benner. And he says it this way. If God is love... And we believe, as Wesleyans write, God is holy love. That is his defining characteristic. If God is love, he cannot be truly known apart from love. He cannot, hear that? Cannot, therefore, be known objectively. One cannot observe him from a distance and know him. To do so is to fail to genuinely encounter his love. One can encounter divine love only up close and personally. Now, maybe for some of you, if you're like me, at one time, these words, encounter, personal, know, transform, I was like, yeah, that's just not me. I much prefer, like, let's analyze, let's describe, let's detail, you know, I'd rather you give me a schedule, a checklist, maybe a rubric so I know if I'm actually, if I'm doing it right, right? But this kind of like the idea of feeling God, experiencing him, that felt uncomfortable to me. So several years ago, um, I started taking classes at Asbury, which is the seminary that many of us here on staff have received our training at. And in the first semester, there was this online class I took. And throughout the online classes, there's always these forums where, you know, you post something, people reply. So I had posted something. I don't even remember what the question was, what I said. What I do remember is someone replied to me, and she wrote, Jessica, I pray that this semester you will sit at the feet of Jesus and experience his love. And y'all, I, if I could have rolled my eyes any harder... <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I was like, "Uh uh-huh, I knew this is what seminary people were like. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's true. And and secondly, I thought, I do not have time to sit at anyone's feet because I'm busy working for the Lord, right? (laughs) This is me, (laughs) y'all. But what I've realized now is that where I thought I was going to seminary to learn more about God and gain more knowledge. Why he actually called me there was to learn to know him. Gnosko. No, right. And it's not something um, that I necessarily stepped into willingly, if you can't tell. But through different assignments, and this isn't particular to seminary students, right? This is for anyone. But because I was forced for a grade to sit with God, I realized that I too could experience God, could know him personally. And I don't mean that in like a, 
you know, an ethereal, like I feel God type of way. But for me, experiencing God's love has been more about this deep assurance that I am his and he is mine. And I don't have to question that anymore. Experiencing God's love has been about being able to come just sit with him when it feels like everything is falling apart and receiving comfort and peace even when circumstances don't change. And experiencing God has been about, you know, bringing all of myself to the table, even these things that I thought were just who I was, you know, my my over-busyness and my slight type A tendencies. (laughs) I laughed a little too hard at that one. But these were things I just thought, oh, that's how God made me. And then experiencing God's love, he's actually said, no, I want to release you from some of this. I want to restore some of these broken pieces that are not you, not how I created you. And so I know that if you're someone, I'm picturing me just several years ago sitting here listening, and I'm still like, okay, but that's just not how I experience God. And so what I want to just plant a flag and say today is that knowing and experiencing God's love is for everyone, is for everyone. It does not matter if you are male or female. It does not matter if you are a new Christian or a seasoned Christian. It does not matter if you're more logical and thinking or more feeling. None of that matters. Knowing God's love is for everyone. And when I was preparing this message, I I just got a sense that maybe there's someone who even like me had believed this lie, this lie that I don't get to know God that way. And so maybe you've said that or believed that or agreed with it. And so in this moment, I just want to say, in the name of Jesus, that's not true. That's a lie. Knowing, experiencing God's love is for everyone. And the second thing I want to say is that knowing and experiencing God's love does take time, right? This is just like getting to know a person. You don't know someone intimately, immediately, right away the first time you sit down with them. God is the same way. We need to, we need to be willing to put ourselves aside, sometimes maybe even endure a little bit of awkwardness, and just keep showing up. Knowing God's love does take time for you to get to know him. And so today, I think there are two main invitations for us on the table. And it kind of depends on whether you felt like you identify more with with Thomas or with Philip. And so if you identify with Thomas, maybe you're more on the skeptical end, still asking questions and trying to figure things out. I think the invitation for you today is to see God, to see God. And you can do that through reading the scripture. You know, if you read one chapter of John starting today, each day for the rest of the month, you'd be done by the end of the year. Come see God in the person of Jesus, see his words and his works. Or maybe you're more towards the Philip end of the spectrum, Maybe you've been around God. You know about him, but maybe you don't feel you truly know him. Then I think your invitation is to know God. 
to say that this is so important to you that you're going to even put it in your schedule, right? We have to schedule these things. Set a five-minute timer on your phone and just sit. Just tell God, I want to know you more, right? It's a very simple prayer, and I promise you, it's one God answers. I want to know you more. You know, I think, I think sometimes when we think about Christmas, about God sending his son to earth, I think sometimes we can think of it in like an angry parent way, you know, like, don't make me come down there, <laughs> right? He has to come straighten us out and show us how to do it. Like when my kids are fighting in the back of the car, don't make me come back there. But I think that God actually sent Jesus because he wanted to be able to look into our eyes. He wanted to be able to put his hands on our shoulders and say, see me. Know me. Know my never failing, never ending love for you. That's what Christmas is about. Let's pray together. Father God, we just open ourselves to you now. And maybe even you would want to say to God now, God, I want to see you. Or God, I want to know you. Wherever you're at, just tell God that now. Lord, come in this space. Show us your face. Teach us who you are. Let us experience your love for us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So this is Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. May you go in his peace. We'll see you next week.